we started a series last week uh, that we're calling Vital, and uh, just looking at women in the kingdom and what it looks like to be a woman in the kingdom of God, what God's design is for men and women, and 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 we're not going to be able to. We're we're just going to scratch the the surface on this topic. Like it's not something I'm doing a super deep dive into. What what my hope is for this series is that it is a tremendous encouragement uh, to women in the room, but also to all of us in the room. And I, I think there's something beautiful that when you get a little more clarity around God's design for things, it it doesn't just lift up women. I think it lifts us all up. And it's um, there's something really beautiful and powerful about it. And so um, last week, we, we, we kind of started with looking at how... Um, Women are created in the image of God. We all are created in the image of God and what that means. So we were looking at those opening chapters of Genesis and some of the cues that we pick up there from Scripture around creation and design for humanity and all of that kind of stuff. And we hit two points last week. So the first one was this, is that women, you were distinctly created in God's image to reflect his strength, his intelligence, his beauty, and his selfless love. And the same is true of guys... Men, you were distinctly created in God's image to reflect his strength, his intelligence, his beauty, and his, and his selfless love. That's God's design for us that he, when he created men and women, he created them to be um, um, co-rulers, co-stewards of his creation, to rule that creation together. And, uh, and, and before sin entered the world, there was no hint of of uh, subordination, there was no hint of of any you know unhealthy power grabs or anything like that. It was just beautiful equality and unity and and and, and just God's beautiful design. And when sin enters the world, then we see things shift. The power shifts. The uh, desires shift. Um, uh, all of this kind of stuff, and 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 what has been the case in the world since then for thousands of years now is that we've lived in this world that is kind of governed by a patriarchy, where uh, the you know women in the world are often viewed as property, or as less than, um, or as not as capable, or, or whatever, and that has been the tone of the world that we live in for millennia. And, and, that, and so, so the second thing I mentioned last week was as people who are the advanced team in, in building God's kingdom here on this earth until he brings it into its fullness someday, um, I, I challenge you that we have a choice that we can make. We can choose to go with the status quo or we can choose to live in the harmony that God intended. And, 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 I, and I would encourage you to like, look inward, all of us, men and, men and women in the room, look inward and kind of do some soul searching of what that might mean for you. What would it mean for you in the way that you do work, in the way that you do uh, family, to start thinking of, of life lived in that harmony that God intended? Would, would that require some changes of attitude or some change or just, you know, what would that mean? And it's, I'm, not, I'm not prescribing anything. I'm just saying be prayerful and look inward and see if God would have you live out his new kingdom ethic in some way different that, than was 
like laid down to you, right? I mean, we're all products of this world that we live in in really harmful ways. And that's really the, the tricky part of living out the gospel, the tricky part of, of the Holy Spirit changing us into kingdom citizens is that we have so much baggage from growing up in this world that is like the system. And it's not just like God, you know, God struggles to make you a better person because you know, you're so rotten. It's, it's God, there's a struggle to transform you into a genuine citizen of his kingdom because you are so bogged down, dragged down, influenced with, tangled up with the sinful kingdoms of this world that say it should be done so and so and so and so and so and so, where God is like, no, I'm, I'm giving you a new command. I'm giving you a new law to live by. And, and so how, how do we untangle ourselves from, from, the, from the water that we swim in? How do we do that? And that's the challenge of being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Um, it's not just, can he make me a better person, but can he make me a new creation? Do you guys get the difference? You get the difference? Not just simply being better, but can he transform me into something, someone new, brand new? Um, and and that is, that's the challenge. That's the challenge. So what I want to do uh, this week is I want to look at um, a passage that Paul wrote in his little letter that we call Galatians, which is one of my favorite Paul letters. It's Paul at his most polyest. It is, it is, he's, he's just, you get everything from Paul in this letter. You get his unique wisdom and his intelligence and all of that. You get uh, his passion for the gospel. You get his wit. You get his um, uh, harshness. He could really speak harshly to people at times. You get his even, oh my gosh, he might have crossed the line here, you know, in this letter. Like it's, there's a lot in this little letter. And the, the, the intent of the whole, of this whole letter is that he is, he is kind he's writing these churches in, in Galatia and he's trying to combat these people who had infiltrated the church that were Jews, that he would call them Judaizers, because what they were trying to do was say, yes, Jesus is good, and he is the Messiah, and that's, the great, that's great, and that's the gospel, and that's wonderful. However, we can't throw out the old Jewish system. We're not going to throw out the old Jewish law and the old tr- Jewish tradition. If you're going to be a true Christian... Jesus is not enough. You also must be circumcised. You also must keep Sabbath laws. You also must be picky about who you share your dinner table with along racial lines and that sort of thing. Like all these things that the law has told us to do and that we were brought up in and that was our tradition, all that stuff is still relevant today and you're not a true Christian unless you, all, unless you embrace Jesus Christ as Messiah and all the Jewish law and all the Jewish tradition, right? And so Paul being the missionary to uh, mostly non-Jews in different cities around the world, uh, for him, that was absolutely ridiculous. It was creating obstacles, to unnecessary obstacles to people coming to the faith. How do you, I mean, imagine if we were still doing that today. How do you, you know, there would be no men in church. There would just be no men in church. If you were like, yes, Jesus is wonderful for you and, is wonder, and you should follow him. And, and oh, by the way, uh, we're going to have to circumcise you. And it would be like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm tapping out. That, that, that's it, right? That's, uh, no, that's not going to happen. And so Paul was like, no, 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 no. That's, 
your issue, that's your tradition, that, that has nothing to do with Christ, it has nothing to do with the gospel, it's, it's, it's a separate thing. It, that's the covenant that God made with Israel, that's not the new covenant that he's made through Jesus Christ that we are now embracing. And so it's all about that. And, and in this one moment, it's one of my favorite Paul moments in, that, in, in all the Bible, but it's, it's this really harsh, cringy, uh, uh, insulting, uh, uncomfortable moment where he's talking about the whole circumcision thing, and he's like, these people who like demand circumcision on all these new followers, he's like, I wish that they would just lop the whole thing off. Like, you're like, oh, is that in the Bible? What is this happening, right? You're right you know, like, like, what is that all about? And, and, and so it's just Paul being his, like, he's just got that punch to him sometimes if he's really fired up about something. And so he gives us this, this uh, passage that we're going to read today that's one of his most famous quotations. If you've been in church very long, you've heard it Many times, if you've been in church for decades, you've heard it, you know, thousands of times. Uh, and, and I want us to, I want you to, uh, if, you, if it's possible for you, shake off what you've heard about it and, and hear it with some fresh ears this morning. And hear, hear it new again and, and listen to what he has to say. So I'm going to start off with uh, Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 23. Uh, if you're using one of the brown Bibles from the back, that's page 944. And so... Um, so Paul starts off like this. He says, he says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until that, the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian. We're going to look at that word. The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I'm going to stop right there, and I just want to look at this thing where that word guardian, because it's one. this is one of those examples of the word that Paul used was a very specific word to their culture and their way of doing life, that there's not a real direct translation for us in modern English today. And so guardian's kind of the closest that we can come with. The word he uses is, is this Greek word, uh, pedagogus. Everybody say pedagogus. Yeah, so Greek word, there you go, pedagogus. And it's the, it's the word that we get our word pedagogy from. If, you, if you're a teacher, if you, if you went, have a degree in education, you might be familiar with that term. It's a, it's a term that talks about teaching. So, uh, for instance, my sister-in-law has uh, her master's degree in piano pedagogy. And it, it's, she's a piano teacher, right? It's that sort of thing. And so, but this word in particular has uh, extra meaning for that culture and that time frame and that part of the world. What was the custom was... If you were a, a man of a li- even a little bit of means, you likely had your, your house with your family and maybe one or two household servants, uh, slaves, basically, that would work for you, and they were considered a part of your household. And if you had a child, say a son, then you would assign one of your slaves, one of your servants, uh, over the care and protection of your son from the moment that they were uh, born all the way up until they were reaching manhood, this slave, this servant would be in charge of that child, in charge of rearing him, in charge of discipline, in charge of teaching them family values and spiritual values, in charge of their education, just completely in charge. So you have a son, a, a youngster, who was submissive even to the slave, almost a slave of the slave. And that's how they grew up in this house until they came of age. And then sonship was pronounced upon them. They were no longer 
under the care, as Paul says there, uh, we're no longer under a guardian, we're no longer under the care of that guardian, uh, the care of that servant anymore. Now we are a son. Now we are a son, right? Which is why the very next thing Paul says on the next screen is this. He says, um, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So, So this is what he's saying. We no longer need the law to be our guardian until we mature into full faith in Christ. We, we can skip that step now and sonship and daughtership of, the being, of being a son or daughter of the Most High God is declared upon us all. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to put your time in. It is just simply declared upon all of us. We are all sons and daughters of God. Amen? That's good news, right? That's, that's, that's really good news. But we were once under guardianship of this law. And this law, it was a... When you look... Has anybody ever read like Old Testament law and you look at it and you go, what does this have to do with my faith at all? Anybody is like scratching your head going, there's some jack... Can we just admit there's some jacked up stuff in the law? I'm not going to list it for you. Read it on your own. It'll mess up your head. But there's some jacked up stuff in the law. Stuff that for us is, again, cringy. It's, it's like, what was going on there? Uh, you know, how does that even make sense? How could that possibly even be from God? It's just weird. Just, there's weirdness to it. Let's just be honest. There's weirdness to it. This is the law that, that they were under as this guardian, as Paul refers to it. This same law that it would, it would tell you who you were allowed to share your table with. Don't go into deep fellowship with those outside of your race, outside of the Jewish faith in particular. Don't go into deep fellowship with them. Don't, you know, don't be careful who you're sharing your table with. It gave rules for free men and different rules for slaves. Uh, just, just, again, awful and odd to us in our 21st century sensibilities. It, it preferred men over women at every step, men were given preference in what they could do and in and, and what they could achieve. Uh, women were, were, were viewed as property. Like Phil told, told that beautiful communion story this morning about the bride price and everything. And, and we hear that because we're church people and we're used to hearing terms like that and, and, it, and, it, and it floats right over us. But, but the truth is like, do you know how uncomfortable that just the concept of a bride price actually is when you actually think about it? I mean, again, they, these are women who were treated as property. If I'm going to lose my daughter, I got to have some compensation for that, you know, that sort of thing. And, and that's, that's the world they, they lived in. Now, I'm not judging that. That's just the, that was just the world. That's, that's just the way it was. We can't, in 21st century America, cast judgment on, you know, fifth, uh, 6th, 10th century BC, you know, Israel. We, we, we can't do that. Like, it's just simply a different world, and you just accept that's the way things were, right? This is why, I'm, I'm getting off track here, but this is why the Bible doesn't try to correct slavery. It just, that's just the world. It just says, okay, if you're going to, if slavery, slavery does exist, so be kind to your slaves. I mean, that's, that's kind of the Bible's approach to it. It doesn't try to correct it because it in that time frame, it wasn't, it didn't seem an issue to be corrected. It was just the world that they lived in. Our sensibilities are different, right? And so we, we struggle in the world in between all of that, right? But the thing is, is that we do, oh, well, let me keep going. 
So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. We've put on Christ. We we are like little Christs going out into the world and and represent, representatives of Him, true sons, true sons and daughters of Him. And then He says that here's the here's the verse. Here's the verse we all know that we've all heard a billion times before. He says, "There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave." nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, you've heard that a bunch. If you've been in church very long, you've heard that verse. Again, I want you to hear it fresh today. I want you to hear what, because what we have done, like, first of all, this is revolution language. This is not just some, like, trite, cute little phrase for people of faith. This is the language, I mean, imagine saying what Paul just said in the world in which it was said, a world that was dominated by divisions in race, dominated by divisions in class and economic status, dominated by divisions in gender, and Paul says in Christ Jesus there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no male or female. I don't, I don't know that you can point to a more revolutionary sentence that has ever been written in the history of men. I don't know that you can, I don't know that you can point to any one of them. Like that is the language of revolution. And Paul says, in Christ, things are different. You live in a world that is dominated by racism, that is dominated by classism, that is dominated by sexism. It is driven. Everything is built around those things. And Paul says, not so the kingdom of God. Not so the kingdom of God. The ground truly is level at the foot of the cross. We all have the same standing with God. We all have the same standing through Jesus Christ, with God, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're equal, truly equal. And that is, there is so much power in that statement. And then he goes on and he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again, it's another really shocking statement because he's going, it doesn't matter if you're from Israel. It doesn't matter if you can trace your heritage, your lineage back to Abraham. None of that matters because Abraham's true seed are those who in faith place their, uh, place their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the promise. That's the, the heritage, the inheritance of Abraham. And we all, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no... Now, here's the thing that we do with that phrase, is that little sentence, is that we, we, we turn it into theology. This is, we, it's really tempting to look at everything Paul writes as just simple theology. Like, this is kind of how we understand God and how we understand salvation. And, and all of that is there. Paul was a master theologian. Master theologian. It's, it's all there. But don't lose sight of the fact that what Paul was writing here was not a theological treatise. What he was writing was a letter to a church, to people just like us. Just like us. He wasn't saying, hey, it wasn't just about him going, all are welcome in Christ. That's not, that's not only what he was doing. He's writing to a group of people, a mixture of people, a really weird mixture of people. Because when, when this faith started to take off, 
Lots of people, there, it wasn't just about Jews anymore. It was the, the Greeks were coming in, Africans were coming in, all these people from all over the world were coming into the faith and they were worshiping together in this really beautiful and awkward way. And it wasn't just about just free men were coming. No, in fact, a lot of times slaves would come to the faith first and they would win over uh, their, their own masters, their own, you know, the, the heads of the houses that they worked for. And, and they would become people of faith too. And so you have slaves and freemen worshiping together in the exact same place. Very awkward. How do you work out? And there's issues that are arising. Things are, things are getting weird. How do we work all this out? And, and it wasn't, and, and men and women worshiping together, participating together. In the old synagogue system, the men would sit up front and then there was a veil and the women would sit behind the veil as they learned and heard the scripture read. Not so in the church. We all sit in a circle, men and women together, and the women are learning alongside of the men. The women are praying alongside of the women. The women are prophesying to the men and women and to and, and alongside of them. Prophesying. Do you know what prophesying is? That is being the, 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 the mouthpiece of God. That's being God's voice to the people he wants to deliver a message. And God was not just, I'm only going to work through women. No, instead, he is, he is giving his messages oftentimes to women for the congregation, and they are allowed to function in that way in these early churches. And, 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 and it's a beautiful, beautiful equality that had never existed before. But because it had never existed before and because it's all new and because they live in this world that is divided up and cut up so many different ways, then what it was, it was awkward. Issues were coming up. What you, what, what you mean the slaves are going to sit over here with all of us free people too? What, you mean a slave? My slave is going to prophesy to me? And tell me what God's will is for my life. How's that, how's that working? Or, or, you know, all this kind of this stuff would, would take place. And Paul is like, now let me speak into your congregational life. There's no, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. We're all one in Christ. We're all one in Christ. But that's tricky. <laughs> so tricky. Because... How do we untangle that vision for equality from the systems of the world that we exist in? How do we do that? This is the big point I want want to draw out today. It's this, that the world's isms have no place in Christ's kingdom. The world's isms have no place. There's no place for racism in the kingdom of God. There's no place for classism in the kingdom of God. There's no place for sexism in the kingdom of God. It does not belong there at all. Now, it exists there, but it doesn't belong. It's there, but it doesn't belong. And the challenge for us as a church, so, so here's, here's what I know about good Christians. Like people who genuinely love the Lord, almost all the ones I know, like they love the Lord. They want to serve him. They want to be obedient. They want to be faithful to his word. And at times, it's, it's a challenge to figure out what that faithfulness looks like in our own context. It can be a challenge. I want to invite you to like, pray for the leadership of your church. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Because when we wrestle with issues of like how do we live out the gospel practically in our setting, 
We all want to get it right. We want to be faithful to the Word of God. And, and it's a, it can be challenging ground to walk on at times. That same Paul that, um, that went on this tirade against the Judaizers and really rude language and all this kind of stuff and just so, you know, passionately defended the idea that we don't need circumcision, you know, anymore and we don't need all that old tradition, all that old law anymore, that it's a new law, it's a new command, it's a new covenant, Christ enough, Christ alone, right? That same Paul who wrote an entire letter basically about circumcision not being needed, went on a missionary journey with his team of, of, of uh, partners, and his son in the faith, uh, Timothy, was one of them. Timothy was a, 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 a Greek. And um, when they went to one particular area, before they started their ministry, Paul asked Timothy to be circumcised. It's in the book of Acts. Paul asked Timothy to be circumcised. You're like, what? Like, how? How is that because, and this is what Paul knew. Paul always went into an area and they started with the synagogues where they kind of had common language. And they would say, you're looking for the Messiah, the Messiah has come, it's Jesus. And they would start winning converts that way. And Paul knew that if he took his band of brothers and sisters that were traveling along with him into the synagogue and tried to bring some uncircumcised guy in there with them, they would not hear him. The gospel would not be heard. And so he asked Timothy, Will you, will you please give up your freedom for the sake of the gospel? Could you do that? And we see Paul teaching this way in, in other places too, around food issues and you know food that had been offered up to idols and things like that. Would, like, I have freedom to do all these things. I have freedom to eat whatever I want to eat. I have freedom to do all this stuff in Christ Jesus that we didn't have before. I am free in, in and through the gospel. However... I'll give up my freedom for the sake of the gospel. I'll, I'll, I'll willingly lay down the freedoms that I enjoy so that the gospel can be unhindered and, and, um, and that there's no hurdles to it, right? And, and Paul does this over and over and over again. And so when we, as, you know, like when we do this, part of the challenge today is to go, yes, we're free, Yes, we're called to equality. Yes, we're called to all of this. But are there, are there layers of this freedom that in our context today that we need to lay aside certain freedoms so that the gospel can be clearly heard in our context? And sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. And we have to all sort, sort all that out. And I think that when Paul taught on a lot of issues where it seems like things were getting conflicting messages from his letter to one church versus his letter to another church or whatever, I think a lot of it's that. It's different, different circumstances and different settings. He's going, we need to sacrifice a freedom here because it's going to hinder the gospel. In this setting over here, it's not an issue. Move forward. Be free. But, but we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have to discern that. And it is challenging. So what I want to encourage us to do around issues that are just difficult biblically and around specifically this issue that we're talking about is to know that if you're a person who feel like, feels like God is calling you to lay down a particular freedom for the sake of the gospel, then be obedient to that. 
And if you're a person who you feel like God is saying, be free and run in the freedom that I have given you, then be faithful to that. And the two of you together look at each other as brothers and sisters and go, I'm going to celebrate what God is doing in your life, and I hope you celebrate what God is doing in my life. And we don't have to be doing the exact same thing the exact same way to have unity. We can still have unity. And so we follow the Holy Spirit, and we follow at times the direction of the leaders that God has placed over us, and we follow what we do, all of that. But it's complicated, and it's complex, and it is, uh, there's just a desire for all of us, whether it's me up here or you guys out in the seats there, we all want to get it right. But we have to operate in grace and love and respect, and, we, and this is what we have to do. And so pray for us, pray for us. We're a church in progress. We don't have every issue figured out yet. But I do know this, what we have figured out is that there is no Jew or Greek, and there is no slave or free, and there is no male or female, and we genuinely are all one in Christ. And living that out at times is difficult. But I think we're up for the challenge. Amen? I think we are. So I said last week that I've invited a different woman each week to kind of close us out and give us the last word. Uh, We're so blessed by uh, so many women in our church that are just incredible leaders, and uh, and Jesse Besseghini is one of those. She is our office manager, and she does a a fantastic job. She she very practically speaking runs this church, and uh, and she she's just amazing at the work that she does. And but it's not just that she's a great organizer. I mean, she's a she's a passionate follower of our Savior, and uh, she's become a voice of wisdom in my own life at times. And so I asked her just to share a word of encouragement to us this morning and uh, close her out. So I'm going to give her the last word and, uh, and then you're dismissed. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Oh, he doesn't say nice things to me like I, that all the time <laughs> at all. Pretty much never. So I'm glad to be up here and get a little encouragement. No, I'm just kidding. So yeah, Jeff asked me to share a short word of encouragement. So then the Holy Spirit's like, you're going to talk about suffering. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, If you are in this room and you have not decided to follow Jesus yet, then welcome and come along for this ride because what I'm about to say is very much for believers and it's hard to understand necessarily outside of the context of being a follower of Jesus. Um, By a show of hands, who here in this room feels like their life has actually been changed for the better and they have learned and they have grown and become more of who God wants them to be and done more of who, what God wants them to do as a result of something really difficult, a death, right? Trials and struggles and tri- right, hands all over the room. We know that to be true. And what's tricky is that sometimes this is true. There are people in the world who are, have tender hearts and they can endure suffering and come out of it and like, okay. But all the time, all the time, we see hurt people hurt people, and we see suffering result in anger, suffering result in addiction, suffering result in abuse. Am I right? Okay. So, but what we know, as Paul told us in Romans, right, suffering produces perseverance. Matt knows perseverance produces character. Character produces hope, that it's like a line. It's like a formula that if we are following Christ, 
we can trust that process, that this suffering, mm-mm, there's something good that's going to come out of that. And I, because I have hope, it's like the cycle, I already have hope. And so we can just keep moving on in this. And beautiful, wonderful things come out of some of the ugliest times in our lives, right? We can almost look, not look forward to suffering, but outside of it, right, right now with our hands up, we can say, yes, I can recognize that suffering can actually produce good things. So actually what I wanted to talk to you guys about today was um, John chapter 21, the last book in, um, the last chapter in the book of John. And I'm going to give you the Jesse version. I'm not going to actually read it, but basically this is the time period where Jesus has done his ministry, most of his ministry on earth, crucified, you know, buried, resurrected. And now he's kind of popping in and out, right? Like, I'm going to show up on the road, and then I'm not. And then I'm going to be here, and I'm going to be there. And it's like, oh my gosh, like Jesus, you just never know where he's going to be. And he's sharing these really important and really deep truths with his disciples that he's showing up. Like, these are his last days with them, the last chunks of time that he's going to spend with them. So they're, he's not with them. They're like, want to go fishing? Okay. Go out on a boat, fish all night. Don't catch anything because apparently they suck at fishing. This is not the first time this has happened. And from the shore, somebody goes, hey, you should throw your nets on the right side of the boat. They do. Fish everywhere. So many fish. And John turns to Peter and goes, it's him. And Peter jumps in the water and swims to shore. And sure enough, it's Jesus. And he's got a fire going. And he ends up cooking them breakfast. And they're just spending time together. I mean, breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Like, what's better than that? And spending this really sweet and precious time together that they know that their time is limited. Um, and here he is with us. And like, what's he got for us? And so Jesus and Peter are kind of having their own conversation. And Jesus is really laying out for him, like, what I have for you, for your life. And he's like, I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to take care of my people. Like, do you love me? You need to take care of my people. And also, by the way, um, when you're old, someone is going to take you where you don't want to go and stretch out your hands. And he was telling him, you're going to be crucified just like I was. And then he said, follow me. And so... If Peter were Iron Man, what would have happened was he'd go, yes, right, and bite the bullet and do what he's supposed to do because that's what, like, heroes do, and we're gonna, I'm just going to suffer through it for the greater good. But Peter is an actual human being. And so as they're walking along and he's having this weighty conversation with Jesus, he turns and sees John kind of following at a distance, and he's like, what about that guy? And he's like, you want me to take on this responsibility and die is he going to help? Like, right? And we're, we're comparing, like, the comparison trap of, well, what do you have for him? What do you want him to do? And Jesus says, Peter, what does it matter to you if I keep him alive until I freaking come back? You follow me. You follow me. And this morning, as we are talking through all these issues, and especially what Jeff was talking about, about having different paths and different gifts and being able to be together in that, that some of us have very heavy burdens to carry in this life, weighty things. And we know that God's going to bring his glory here through those things. And then other people, Phil and I were talking this week, it's like, wow, the, the blessedness that we encounter sometimes as believers, like why God picked 
us to do his work here and like there's so much joy in it too, right? There's both. I just want to remind you of that, that whatever situation you're in, whether you're in the midst of weighing the heavy thing, right, the heavy thing that's coming, or in the midst of the joy of the work, the joy of what God has given you right now, the joy and the struggle are both a part of the human experience. God's in both of them. We need all of it, you guys. But in the midst of whatever it is, don't turn to the side and say, what about him? What's he bringing to the table? Why is, why is his life so easy? Why does she have that? You follow me. Eyes forward on Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then uh, you guys are dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, and I thank you for the people that are in this room, Father, that each one of us comes in today with our own set of baggage and our, <laughs> our backgrounds and life experiences that have made us who we are, God. And you know who each one of us is at our core. You made us and you've seen every single thing in our life, Lord, and you love us. You love us just the way that we are. And you, you take our funky little broken lives and somehow weave them together to make something beautiful. And it just doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. And yet you use us and you use ugly things and broken things and hard things all the time to bring your beauty and your joy and your love into this world. So I just pray right now um, as we head out into our week, Father, that you would give us your perspective. You would give us our pers your perspective on every single thing that we encounter, Father, that we would not look to the side and look to someone else and think, well, why do they get that? Or, oh gosh, why, why me? But instead we would know that you have a plan you have a purpose for our life you have a purpose for our suffering you have a purpose for our joy and i just pray that we would keep our eyes on you and not turn to the side god keep our eyes on you and follow boldly and bravely wherever it is that you would have us to go father i love you i'm so thankful for this church body for the brothers and sisters that i have here god for the plurality of views that we have on so many issues theological and otherwise god I pray that we would be a beautiful assembly, Father, that each one of us would truly reflect you to the people in our lives. We love you. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a good week. <laughs>